We are live, and my name is Randy. And I'm Jim. How are you this morning, Randy? I'm good. A lot of things we could uh, chat about today, and you had an interesting suggestion. I didn't even know about this. So there's the, the Neil deGrasse Tyson thing you that went on. That? I did not see this. Really? So unless it happened like, because, you know, I've uh, it's, it was night here. So unless it happened like when I was shut down already, I was very busy yesterday from 12 noon Eastern Daylight Time on. So if it was if it happened after that, but if it's been going on for two or three days, then I can brag that I didn't see it. So I'm following the best people, I guess. <laughs> uh, well, I guess it was taken last weekend, but it really last weekend. Blew up. Yeah. Oh, the photo. It, yeah. Tell us the story. Yeah. Well, it's the funny thing is, is I saw this on uh, somebody shared it on my Facebook feed, and it was from Gawker, one of those sites. Mm-hmm. And it shows a, a, a black man on a subway with a laptop, uh, and it was a snarky caption about uh, a dumbass nerd, LOL. I have to be honest, and I watch Neil deGrasse Tyson all the time. I wasn't putting two and two together at uh, first. I was because funny. he was just dressed in regular clothes, and he just looked like an every. And there was people all around him, mm-hmm. so. It's funny with famous people, you assume they're doing famous things all the time <laughs> and that they're just surrounded by, you know, beautiful people all the time instead of the fact that they're still human beings. Well, and that he would take the subway. I mean, I don't know. Right. He's got plenty of money and more power to him. He's, he's great. He's a great personality and he's a great yeah. scientist. But you, <laughs> I don't know if I would be taking the subway, but I guess in New York City, I don't know it very well. I've been there a couple of times, but I, I guess that traffic is so bad that maybe at certain times you're way better off to take the subway, right? You you are cause rich I work, or not? Yeah, I worked there for several years, and it is much easier to take the subway. And uh, so this picture started making rounds. A guy, the guy from Twitter that posted it, and other people instantly were smarter than me and realized that it was Neil deGrasse Tyson, and they got all offended and and uh, ticked off. By his comment, not the picture, but the comment he made about dumbass nerd. Of course, it had LOL after that, so it was obvious that it was a tongue-in-cheek, goofy kind of comment. Well, the pitchforks and lanterns came out very quickly, and uh, it was kind of like we were talking the other day about manufactured outrage online. Well, also a little bit of stupidity because... um if you follow the guy, you would know that he's considers himself kind of a smart ass. Right. So, I mean, if you're following, of course, you know, a lot of times you don't know. I just wanted to mention to people who are listening live, um, if you go to TheVerge.com, you slide down just a little bit because they didn't put it on the front page. They want you to click through more ads. But if you go down to maybe right. the second, what I'd call the second page, beneath the fold, fold You'll see the creator of the hated uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson creep shot, and uh, you'll see a what's probably a publicity photo of of uh, of Tyson where he's just he has his head on his hands. So click on that, and you will go to the the actual photo. And I'm going to describe it because it's right in front of me, by the way. So you see that he didn't know he was being photographed. In fact, who knows? Maybe that's not even him. I don't know. It's you know, he looks certainly yeah, it does, does look it like does him. Look like him. If you're looking up close now, if you know what you're looking for, it does look like. But him. he's got his glasses uh, on the brim, the brim of his nose. How do you say that? On the edge of his nose. On bridge. On bridge. Bridge. Thank you. See, my English is just shot after all these years. Uh, <laughs> there's a there's a couple of women in the foreground with purses. So what you really see is about two thirds of uh, Doc Tyson. And he's got a bag, uh, you know, he's wearing jeans and a sloppy shirt. So, yeah, we usually see him kind of in a suit and stuff. Or, anyway, um, yeah, you also, uh, I don't know if you did this, but I looked at a lot of the comments on The Verge. Yes. And a couple of the com. first of all, the, they republished some of the comments on Twitter, which were like YouTube comments, just completely asinine, insulting with no content or value of any kind. To the guy. I mean, you know, this goes back to what we said last time we spoke, which is if somebody says something you don't like, you're not obliged to show what a fool you are by answering them on Twitter. Just go, oh, man, this guy, unfollow him or don't look. Why are you looking anyway in the first place? Anyway, um, let me see if I can find this one 
this one comment. Okay, so this is great. So they have a bunch of things about, and then there's a, you know some com actual comments, and then there's a spam right in the middle of it that says, "My best friend's sister makes eighty five dollars every every hour on the laptop." She's it's one of those real typical you know yes. cut and paste. And uh, the next comment is a typical uh, online comment, which is, I hope your best friend's sister dies right now. Why did anybody take the time? But anyway, there's a couple of funny ones. So there's the next two are making fun of the uh, math because the guy says if, you, if she makes $86 an hour and the number of hours doesn't add up or something. But then it gets a little funnier. Which is Neil deGrasse Tyson makes more than that on his laptop in one short subway ride. <laughs> so, you know... <laughs> Uh, that's that's about it. But anyway, it, it's kind of funny to read those comments. Comment sections online now. We touched on it a few yeah. episodes ago, but comment sections online. I love when they're like really snarky, funny, where they're very clever, where they're the clever ones. Those are a lot of fun. Yeah. What's not so much fun is on certain sites where it becomes really hateful and really ugly. And and I think that people need to just kind of like step back and step away from those because it, I think it does harm to your head, seeing you know reading those uh, words. But the the funny ones are you know they're hysterical. But I think it depends. I think on some place like The Verge, you're not going to get quite as many hateful and uh, really illiterate comments as you would on certain other sites. Yeah, they're they're, they're actually fairly good. Um, one of the really bad ones, which is th- theoretically would be intelligent people, is TechCrunch. I don't know if you ever looked at the comments on yeah, TechCrunch. Are like for some reason there's like this clan yeah. of uh, stupid commenters. And you know yeah. what? We don't really know either whether when you look at that and you go, wow, the state of humanity, the number of really horrible people out there. But you know. It could be like one person posting under six identities, too, and just thinking that they're doing something by doing that. Well, also, you have to look at it this way, too. For every ugly commenter that's out there that's sitting all day long on their computer just thinking of, like, the worst things that they can say about humanity, there's hundreds of people who are either not going online, they don't bother going into comment sections, they just want to stay above that whole phrase. So it's it's... So easy to take uh, the perspective of, oh, my God, what does humanity come to? When, in fact, I think that most of the time yeah. we're just not seeing the thoughtful, compassionate, intelligent people because they're, they're just like, I don't want to get caught up in that. If I, if I touch base with the ugliness, it starts rubbing off on me. And, and, I think and that's, that's true, I'm, by the way. And it is true. And I think that's why also – that I'm commenting a lot less nowadays and a lot of websites year for years, you know, I posted all the time and I used to get in, in wars with these, you know, morons back and forth. And I finally realized, you know what, I'm just, I'm debasing myself. By well, you're never going to, you're never going to contribute. Gonna you're never going to, well, you're never going to turn anybody around except no. in certain like really polite tech discussions where something right. can be proven or scientific. And even then people get defensive and it gets irritating. But, you know, so to me, it's, it's better off just to stay away from that because I think it skews our sense of, of people because I think that by and large, people overall are pretty good. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I, I, I would think that the, I think that the majority of the people wake up every day with the intention of doing good works, doing good things, of being the best people they can be. I don't think there's very many people who wake up every day, you know, how the hell can I, you know, how can I screw people over today? How can I, you know, annihilate people? Of course, there are those people, but are they the are they the real majority? I don't believe so. When, not when I look around and I see my neighbors and my coworkers and my friends and family, who are all pretty decent people who are just trying to get by. But it's really easy to look at comment sections on websites and say, "Wow, you know, people suck." And it's like, I don't think people suck. No, they, I, don't, I don't think so either. I agree with you. And I think that um, there are a certain number of really unhappy people out there. And maybe they, all they have is Internet. And, you know, that's fairly obvious. By the way, this reminds me that um, um, Dan, uh, one of the holes in my memory, uh, Dan York published a really, really good um, kind of an editorial on his site, and I don't have a URL in front of me, and I've, I have shared this twice. I even asked permission and put it on another site, you know, because I think he, it would have been nice if he would have put it on Medium. But the point is, anyway, it was something to the, to the uh, 
uh, went in the direction like um, you can build up or tear down, you create the world that you live in. And especially if we talk about just the world of your internet presence, right? And a lot of people don't get that, not that they're mean or anything, but they don't get it in the way they're, and the way they operate on the internet. Because if you look at somebody that you maybe barely know on Facebook, they're doing a certain thing. And if, if say it's a musician, in my experience, musicians are there, they plug their, you know, their gigs and they plug their albums and they, they promote and they maybe, they maybe, and I'm not saying they don't engage with people, but they're there for a particular reason. And then you've got people who are there for family, people there for friends, politics, whatever it is, sports. I mean, there's a thousand tech is huge. Yes. But then I also think that there are people who maybe got dragged into the 20th and 21st century on, say, Facebook, because everybody's on Facebook. Let's face it, everybody's on Facebook. And if they're not on Facebook, they're on Google+, or both, or Twitter. And in all of these cases, it's just a, what we would call in French a vulgarization of, in other words, a spreading to the vulgar, but meaning not vulgar, literally, but... Right. Uh, the, I think the Latin meaning of vulgar has something to do with everybody kind of thing. There's no discrimination. Point is, everybody's there. Your grandma's on the internet now. Hopefully, she's behaving herself and not putting ugly comments on YouTube. <laughs> the, uh, speaking of YouTube, I also wanted to interject that I personally, because of the way they've mixed those comment systems, I usually don't post, I usually don't share YouTubes now. I take a still, share the still, and put a link in to the YouTube so that it doesn't put a comment on the YouTube because YouTube comments are, you know, notoriously bad. Uh, even yeah, even the music yeah, I mean, ones. They, they still are, even though Google did change its policy last year um, so that you had to have a Google Plus account. So there was a little bit more accountability for your actions, so mm-hmm. to speak. It was no longer the an- anonymity involved in just the worst of the ugliest comments on YouTube. That doesn't mean that people aren't still doing that, but I'm seeing less of that out there. Yeah, um, there's still a lot of it, though. And, there's still and, a lot. Of it. And what's what's kind of silly and sad also is, in, in particular, YouTube because I looked at a lot of music. Well, a lot of people look at music. I think that's the number one source of music. Yep. Um, and when you're looking at it, and somebody will say, "Well, who's the trumpet player, or who's on, you know, the guitar?" And somebody will say, well, you dumbass, where have you been? You know, I mean, it, it, it right. degrades so quickly and so needlessly into that, that uh, who reads that stuff anymore? But, you know, I'm against uh, some YouTube places, like they'll, they'll block it so that nobody can comment. I do that all the time, so go yeah. ahead. <laughs> well, I mean, I do it on things that, um, well, first of all, I, I always have approved comments. So you have to, if, if somebody comments on, you know, I do tech stuff, for example. And if somebody wants to comment, they can comment, but I have to see it first. Because if they're going to say that's a bunch of crap, uh, you know, I don't, then I don't see why, I don't see that that adds anything. Hmm. If they, okay. now, wait a minute, let me be clear on this. If somebody says something negative, and it's just negative, but it's not mean or, um, you know, obviously trying to be a jerk, then I, w- then I would publish it. And okay. it's not for me, by the way, it's for the topic. So it, it isn't right. that they're talking about me. And, and like I said, I think in the musical things, 99% of the time, the comments aren't for the person, the artist, or the performer, or the actual video. They're for other commenters. So I'm sorry to say one of the reasons, one of the ways to do that is not to leave comments wide open. Huh, okay. So I almost never well, do. I- Okay, well, because you, you're talking mainly about your Friday show, right? That well, there's that, but if I put music up, it's the same thing. I don't leave it okay. wide open, but hey, I, you know, if, if people do want to comment, I will always let the comments through unless they say, you know, well, I'm not always going to say something typical of YouTube, but I won't. It's right. too insulting. Well, yeah, I, I don't see anything wrong with that. I don't look at what you're saying as a censorship issue. Uh, what I don't like, I, and I Filtering. see... It, yeah, it, it's filled. I can appreciate that. And a lot of newspapers on their online sites, say like the Toronto Star uh, and a few of the other places that I read and that I occasionally post on, they do have awaiting mod- you know, moderation. And then, you know, maybe an hour, a couple of hours later, your post will appear. That's I think fine. the majority of uh, online sites, actual site, not somebody's blog, but in fact, he also blogs, too. And by the way, it isn't against the fear of bad comments. It's against spam, like the one we just read. 
Right. You know, right. which for some well, reason, The Verge doesn't apparently do that. So that's funny. Yeah, I was leaving when, when we were doing, uh, when I was doing uh, Media Tapper, we left it open and for our stories. And most of the time, the commenters were thoughtful, even if they disagreed with, you know, the writer's perspective of a story. Mm-hmm. And occasionally you'd get the really hateful, really just really, why did you sit there and type that kind of comment? Or yeah. I would just, I would ponder it and I would just look at it and I would read it several times and be like, you actually took the time to write about what an asshole you think I am for my opinion instead of just saying, well, I disagree with your opinion for this reason and for that reason. And this is another way of looking at right, it. Right, instead, right. you had to you know, bring my mother into it and you know, my dog into it. And that's, but we found that that was very rare. That, you know, that just didn't happen very often. But it also was topic dependent. You know, mm-hmm. those certain sure. topics. If we talked, because we were doing tech stuff, and if we talked about Apple or Android, oh, oh my God. You're asking then for it. it. You know, then, yeah, after a while, it's like, I don't even want to write about it anymore because I knew right away all it did was inflame the Apple fanboys and the Android fanboys, which I was using both products, but it was just like, you guys are just flipping nuts. It's like, really? We're talking about a phone. A machine. We're talking, yeah, we're a product. About an operating system that, you know, 10 years ago, neither one of them were, or 15 years ago, neither one of them were even around. And you're that impassioned about it that you need to talk I know. about my family origin, you know, instead of explaining thoughtfully, well, this is why I like Apple or this is why I like Android. It just devolves quickly. Now, I could do that on either side. Actually, right. that that whole you know the scary part of that is that it um, it it harkens to like Nazi Germany where people are so they get so into a thing and they're so easily influenced. Yes. Yep. Um, so anyway, yeah. Now, different topic. Different topic. I noticed you post this morning on uh, Amazon and authors. Yeah, let's find. Let me and, find in the e- in, uh, in the ebook pricing war that's going on between Amazon and certain publishers right now. And I was curious what your thoughts were on that. First of all, uh, the reason I got that in the first place was because I am a so-called author. I have a book out on Amazon, and uh, I did it mostly to, to try the system and so on. So this came to me in the email, and I guess it's been out. And people can read it at readersunited.com, readersunited.com. It's a message from the Amazon Books team. I'll try to summarize it really quickly. It says, um, it's very cleverly written, of course. And it says, uh, just, be, just ahead of World War II, there was a radical invention that shook the foundation of the book publishing called paperback books. Okay? I'm not that old, by the way. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize they didn't come out until then when I was reading what you posted earlier. I thought there was pulp, yeah. I thought there was like pulp in the 20s. For, some, but, reason, for ma- some reason, I was thinking that paperbacks were out in the 1800s, but I guess not. Well, or at least the 20s and 30s. But any, yeah. uh, maybe also what they call them, the pulp fiction, which is actually literally a term, not just a movie, um, may have been out. They, they weren't even, they didn't have a spine. You know, they were like papery. Anyway, long story short, uh, there was a. T- they were Republicans. This is the time when <laughs> this was a time when movie tickets cost ten or twenty cents. Again, I don't remember that time. Thank you very much. Mm. At that time, so um, movie was ten or twenty cents. Books were two fifty. The paperback came out at twenty five cents, so it was ten times cheaper. Readers loved the paperback, and it goes on. I, I won't read the whole thing. It goes on to say that you would think that publishers would embrace that transition, that readers loved it, but in fact, they never did. And it's true, even to this day, as to my knowledge, if you buy a book and you want, if a book comes out today, you can't get it in paperback for a while, right? It comes right. out in hard, mostly comes out in hard, like months later, like six months later, hardcover, which is also. Book. And that's like the DVD not coming out when a TV show or a movie, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, they, like, they love to control that. Well, they say history doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. So this is about, and by the way, they make a serious accusation here. This is about uh, Hash, the Hachette publisher and maybe some others. And they're saying, Amazon says that Hachette has been caught illegally colluding with its competitors to raise ebook prices. Now, we all, I think we all know that there's been a war between Amazon and uh, Hachette, and that Amazon has been saying 
Now, I haven't had this experience because I haven't ordered anything like this, but if you want a book from certain publishers, and certainly them, um, you need to... They, there's some lame thing. And I, by the way, I don't think... I think this is awfully heavy-handed and, and uh, poorly done. But I, I think it's like... Heavy-handed uh, by who? Uh, by Amazon. I, I, even though you'll... I'll get to my opinion in a second. But with the Amazon okay. thing... So what they're doing is they're using a weapon saying, yeah, well, that's great that you ordered this Hachette book. Unfortunately, we won't be able to ship it for a few days. And I don't know if it's a few days or even a few weeks. I'm not sure what they're doing. But this is a little bit... Hey, this is strong-arming. So I'm not... A 100% sure that it's the, a good sign. I, there's a funny thing about it, okay? It's a manipulation. And it's manipulation of the client. On the other hand, authors are very divided, apparently, according to Amazon, about this. Uh, so some authors are incensed and on the side of Hachette, thinking, hey, if they're the publisher, they can fix, <laughs> fix maybe it's not the right word, they can set the prices to whatever they want. Um, we certainly agree on the fact that that ebooks are way too expensive. If they're over a few bucks, far, it's, far, it's far absolutely too. absurd. So if you take the fact that there's no shipping or stocking of any kind, you want the author to get a share. Now on an Amazon and an ebook, the author gets probably between two and four times as much royalty as he or she would on a on a real book, as far as I know, on a paper on a yeah a printed book, as far as I know. The um, you can make a deal with Amazon and get 70% of the selling price. And that's, so if it's selling for, f- say, 5 to 95 or something, you get actually the lion's share of that amount. Um, they, it ends with them saying, please consider these points. And they, they're asking people to write, to email to Hachette and at CEO and they give in the email addresses, which I wouldn't want somebody to do either, but I assume they're public, I guess. And it says, sure please consider are. including these points. And here I'll read the points just because they're quick. We've noted your illegal collusion. Please stop working so hard to overcharge for ebooks. They can and should be less expensive. Okay, but that's a little bit, again, that's a little aggressive. You could just say as a consumer, you know what? I'm not going to buy expensive books anymore. Would you please consider lowering your prices? Uh, next one is lowering ebook prices will help not hurt the reading culture. Oh, sorry, there was dashes there. Will help and not hurt the reading culture, just like paperbacks did. Okay, I like that. That's positive. Another negative now. Stop using your authors as leverage and accept, you know, that language is, doesn't play well. It doesn't play great for me, even if they're right, you know. Um, it's a well-known thing that you shouldn't couch things in negative terms, by the way. Of course, this is a complaint that you're writing to the CEO of, uh, of Hachette. Anyway, the last one is, which is funny because they start a sentence, especially if you're an author. Oh, I'm sorry. Especially if you are an author, remind them that authors are not united on this issue. So since this was written to authors, you're presumably an author. You read it and you could then chime in. You could sound off to Hachette. I certainly don't like the high pricing of ebooks when they're when they're you know overpriced. But on the other hand, I'm not that thrilled with Amazon's tactic. Or I don't even think the language here is good, as I said. So now, go ahead, destroy my. my well, <laughs> the thing is, is I I completely and I'm in. Excuse me, I'm in lockstep with Amazon on this particular issue. And the, re- the reason is, is when I can buy a paperback book, say you write a paperback or you write a novel, it's in hardcover and it's $19.99 or you know, something like that. Six months later, paperback comes out, it's $9.99, $12.99. A couple months later, it's $6.99, $7.99 for the paperback and it's $14.99 to $16.99 for the hardcover. That's typical on most books. Not books that were written many years ago. And just, you can buy it at half price books for about half the retail Well, price that's what I was at getting some point. to. My, my, my point oh, I'm I was sorry. getting to was this, is that when you go to Amazon and you see, you know, the world according to Randy, <laughs> <laughs> that should be a book. Yeah, I should. And you see the world according to Randy, hardcover, sixteen ninety nine. Thirty-two ninety-nine. What are you can, talking about? Well, okay, but we'll say okay. <laughs> All right, sixteen ninety-nine. Sixteen ninety-nine. Kindle version nine ninety-nine. Paperback version seven ninety-nine. Now, 
I'm thinking to myself, and you can see this all the time. That's not an abstract example. Mm-hmm. That's a real-world example frequently. So I'm thinking to myself, what's wrong with this picture when a paperback from an author, a recent book, is cheaper than the Kindle? That is an entirely wrong business model. That's a wrong business model. It makes me not want to support it at all. It makes me not want to buy that book at all because it's like, why? If I ha- if I can wait two days, I have Amazon Prime. I can wait two days and get the paperback shipped to me and paid less than for the ebook to get it instantly when the associated costs are astronomical for that same paperback book as opposed to the uh, Kindle version. It makes no sense. I had, uh, I'm not going to use the author's name, but he's actually one of my favorite authors. He writes this really funny um, series of Florida books. And I was emailing back with back and forth with him a couple of years ago about how much I enjoyed his books. And then we got on that topic and we we're exchanging emails back and forth. And, he's, and he was obviously having to be careful about what he was writing because he didn't want me to suddenly you know, post online you know, the, the gist of his remarks. But he agreed with me that ebooks, and this was when ebooks, everybody's forgetting now, ebooks until about four years ago, you never saw them above $9.99. And then suddenly, after the whole Apple debacle finished, when Apple was you know, convicted of collusion uh, mm-hmm. on that ebooks then all of a sudden ebook prices went through the roof well he this writer said well you know i agree ebooks should not be as much there's no cost associated with there's no storage cost none it's one mm-hmm. electronic file on amazon's servers on barnes noble servers on, on other places so there's not that associated cost he said but me as the author i have no say over it Unless I'm publishing it independently myself, he said, which I'm not here. He said, I have a publisher. My publisher decides those issues. And he told me he's had these same arguments with his publisher. He can't win those arguments. He said, number one, I'm not Stephen King. I'm not big enough that my clout could go anywhere. I can't walk. I can't fly to New York go into my publishers and, and bang my shoe on the table saying it's not right. My ebook should be three ninety nine or five ninety nine because we'll sell a lot more. You'll make it's the Walmart approach. Let me ask and you a question. You, yes. You, because you quoted some prices a few minutes ago. I'm looking right now at a book that I'm that is about to come out in September. I'm very, very interested in this book. They don't mention they don't mention um, paperback because as we said, the paperback doesn't come out right away. So the hardcover is listed retail at eighteen ninety nine, eighteen ninety nine, which is actually cheap because this is a an author from Florida whose books I like too. <laughs> and um, the Kindle edition is about half that nine seventy eight. In fact, that's almost exactly half, right? Um, the Pri- Amazon Prime price is thirteen forty seven. Now, I would have thought that. That the the paperback would be about half the price, and maybe the Kindle edition could be half the price of that. I don't know. Does that seem reasonable? That seems a little bit depending on what it is, by the way, because there I are textbooks. Let's, let's be clear here. Mm-hmm. I want authors to make money. I mean, I write. I, have, I haven't sold yet, but I'm working on an idea for a book now. When I put that book together, I want to make money from it. Of course, I want to make money from it. It's the idea here is not not to take away from the from an author, their heart and soul goes into it. As somebody who's written for a couple of years now for online publications and so forth, it's not easy. You know, it's not as easy as a lot of people seem to think. So I'm not trying to to take away financially from a writer. I think actually that writer will make a lot more. And the math that Amazon does, I'm going to trust that, frankly, that their bean counters kind of know what they're talking about. They didn't build their you know empire out of not knowing what they're doing. But I do agree that if you sell, you know, X product for $8 as opposed to $12, and it's a good product no matter what, you're going to sell a lot more at $8 than that product at $12. You're just going to. And, and I think that there is a, um, there's a mental picture people have of when it comes to pricing. It's kind of like why uh, something in a store might be $99.95 as opposed to $100. Pe- the Retailers know. They've done studies. They know perception. 
And I think the reason ebooks for years were $9.99 as opposed to $10 was it didn't break that glass ceiling of $10. Well, remember, so. too, that the, that the market for ebooks has only fairly recently taken off. If you remember the sure. very, you're an avid reader. So if you remember that when they had this, like you had a choice between Sony and I don't know what, in those days, there was no market and there was no right. deal on any of these things. When Amazon started announcing, and I think this goes back maybe three to five years, if not more, that they were now selling more ebooks than they were conventional books. That dates back to at least three years, maybe five, right? Uh, at that point, you couldn't argue there was no market because that's it. Um, in you know, cosmically speaking, or your universally speaking, the fact that you encourage people to read is a huge benefit to mankind, no matter Absolutely. who you are, where you are, and how old you are. If you're old or if you're young, you Kindle's a very cute name, ignite the fire of reading, and it's true though, uh, and that's a very important concept. And I don't think Bezos gets credit either for that. I've never seen anyone say, you know what, this is great. More people are reading. So there's that. The second thing is, you know what, we don't have that many trees on the planet. And there aren't that many forests. There's a limited amount. And by the way, the reason print books went up dramatically in the last, I don't know how when this happened, but there began to be a shortage where paper started costing a lot more. Now, you know, I guess you could argue that people who work in, in print shops or something are going to be hurting, but maybe I, I don't know what to, how to respond to that. That's, a, that's evolving technology. That yeah. has always happened. It's, right. it's, like, it's like the argument against uh, self-checkout lines and stores, that it's going to take jobs away from cashiers. The same argument was made 100 years ago when Henry Ford started the assembly line. You know, that, yeah. that, 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 it's evolving technology. The, the thing about that's an interesting uh, thing in its in and of itself. Uh, it was too bad we don't have Steve Factor with us, huh? Because uh, he's yeah. not only an author, but he's a kind of a social uh, he's, he's interested in sociology and would have some interesting comments on that. You know, uh, just in passing, when you talk about that, the change in technology, that's a very good point, and it applies to a lot of things. Which is that the technology, when it first starts changing, there's this period of adaptation. So yes, when you go into certain stores, there's self checkout. Uh, I don't always use them, but it's for various reasons because they're not that universal and sometimes somebody has to come over and help you and then it becomes more complicated than it's worth. Um, and, but they do have it, for example, Nespresso, the enemy of everybody, Nestle. They have make this instant kind of coffee that uses capsules. And in their stores, besides huge photos of George Clooney, they have, um, they have developed a system of auto service where you, there are bins of the coffee, you walk by, you grab a tube, another one slides out. You know, it's like very futuristic. And I really didn't care for that. And when it first came out, it bothered me because I, it, I just enjoyed the human contact. And I, that, I'm not desperate for it, but I just said it was a little more, I don't know, I can't explain it, less mechanical. Um, but the fact is that now... I see myself going to the automatic thing more and more. They only have one item, okay? They're all tubes. So you put the tubes in a bag and you set it on a thing that checks an RFD, RFID chip. It knows how much you owe. It knows every product in there. So this is, this is not even you having to scan, okay? This is set the bag down, swipe your membership card, and swipe your credit card, and that's the end of it. So that's actually fairly cool. And I'm not worried about taking anybody's job because I use American Express card and they can't automate that completely. So somebody has to be there to take it. Well, they and they always make a face. <laughs> by the way, you know, they, they, they still have to. They still have to have employees. And um, and the thing is, is okay. One could argue that if uh, X food store sales go up because uh, they're offering this service. They can open more stores, which still employ people. You still have to have people to stock the shelves, clean the stores, manage the stores, run the different departments. You're still going to have people in the deli sections. And uh, and you're still going to have open cash registers. It's not completely uh, self-service. So the, the argument can be made that, okay, on one side, it's taking some of this out of the equation. But on the other side, it's giving this to the equation. 
Um, and that's that evolution. And there's a there's yeah, a period yeah, where sure. somebody who's mining coal, for example, because there's still that still exists, right? Sure, and it's being absolutely. fought by unions and stuff. Yes. And um, Bill Maher made a great comment when he was saying that. Uh, you know, there's an expression like, God, it's like mining coal. It's like being a coal miner. And the job is so bad that it has a, a common expression to show how horrible the life is with the black lung and the whole shot. It's hard work. There's no joke. And it's no joke that people are losing their jobs. But what's scary is that there are these groups that are, def- well, we're getting way off here, but the point is there are these groups who are defending uh, the jobs. And I, we totally get all of us that a man has a family and he wants to go, you know, down into the mines every day because he's got to get a salary. But there, yeah. we need, we have to find a way for that man to earn his salary in another way because that's a dangerous, shitty, horrible, dirty, horrible health, you know, job that no one should, no human should have to do if it's avoidable. Plus, not to mention the ecological part of it. But, you know, there's nothing good about that. So there's nothing probably great about a lot of the jobs that are disappearing, frankly. And yet... um, But we need to replace them, on the other hand. Somebody's got to replace replace them. But but then when we do replace them, and they absolutely need to be replaced, then we got to decide, what are we going to do about areas like West Virginia? Exactly. Yeah, I know. I get it. It's a valid argument. It's great to say in one breath, you know, we need to go solar. We need to find other ways uh, to get our energy. Absolutely. But you can't forget, and a lot of people kind of like poo-poo it off to the side, what are you going to do with this vast swath of area in the United States that is extreme? And it's not just the miners. It's the entire local Industry. Economy. No, no, sure, sure. There's a, you gotta, I mean, there's, I mean, everything from all the way down to, all the way down to the convenience stores, the local restaurants are all completely impacted. I mean, look what happened when the industrial decline as you said recently, we don't manufacture anything in the United States anymore. Yeah. Well, you know, in the 50s and 60s, when when industry started dying and moving off, and then in the 70s, it really the death knoll for a lot of the areas of the Midwest. They didn't get replaced with other uh, technologies. They didn't get replaced to the point where a lot of people ended up having to pick up stakes and move to other areas of the country. So it is a valid uh, concern that if you're going to say, okay, we have to end coal because it's horrible for the environment, that, to me, there's no sense in even debating that. But what are we going to do in the aftermath? Because- no, no I, I agree 100%. And that's, that's really why there are local politicians, even though my, my own uh, respect for them is very low. But the fact is that they are also the ones who are enacting the laws and they know what side their brothers buttered on, obviously. But also, there is a little bit of truth. And I mean, you can't, you, this is an interesting discussion. We should probably end it because we kind of, it's something that, uh, you know, you, nobody will resolve anytime right. soon. But the, my main point was, and I'm glad you said what you just said, the main point is that there is no one side that, is exact truth of every possible universal element of this. A man, uh, I keep saying a man because there aren't that many female coal miners, I don't think. Uh, but a guy, you know, grows up, that's all he knows how to do. And he maybe he's really good at it too, by the way. And he's avoided injury all these years. And he, you know, has the right safety equipment so he's not getting black lung. And for all that, he might even, you know, have a feel like he did a good day's work at the end. I mean, so it's not for us to go, well, this is a crap job, even though... No, on the surface, no, it certainly doesn't it's seem an honest day's pay. <laughs> Absolutely. At the end of the day, I don't care if you're digging ditches, if you're laying asphalt, if you're coal mining, if you're washing dishes in a restaurant, all hot and sweaty. It's honest work. Absolutely. And, you know, there to me, that that is what again about what humanity is about. Not everybody can be in the suit and tie making three hundred thousand dollars a year or more. You know. The world revolves around so many different aspects of life. And I salute all those people because a lot of those jobs are jobs that, you know what, I'm not tough enough to do. I mean, not just because of my age now, but even when I was younger, I tried it. My, one of my very, my actually my very first paying job was at a little nursery. My father made me go and apply. He made me go in a suit and tie. Oh, boy. 14 years old to this little nurseries, you know, and uh, 
I don't know why they hired me for after school. I have no idea. But it was like it was all uh, I everybody spoke Spanish. It was all uh, from Puerto Rico, Cuba, mm-hmm. Mexico, oh, in the fields, you know, in the nurseries. And I tell you what, I lasted one day, <laughs> one day. It was miserable. It was hot. It was backbreaking work. I was such a wuss. <laughs> one day, my father was so mad at me. He's like, here, I brought you there, you know, got you all dressed. I'm, all, I'm thinking to myself, well, why did I dress up to go to a job? I'm going to get completely dirty. And anyways, but he's like, you know, you embarrassed me by not, you know, going back. I said, yeah, but dad, it was really hard. <laughs> Yeah, so you, I, know, you know, yeah, that's it. That, wash dishes. I started as a dishwasher in restaurants. I have so much respect for for the men and women who get so dirty every day, who just toil in in conditions that are not pleasant conditions. And most of the time, as we both know, for pay that's nowhere near what they should be getting for the for for the hard work they're doing. They're getting so low pay. And that's why I like this whole border thing really ticks me off because it's like these are people who are doing the jobs you will not do. And like I posted recently on Facebook, I have never met anybody who has lost a job to a Mexican yet. That has never. I'm sorry. If the, if you did lose your job to a Mexican, then you probably deserve to lose your job in the first place because, frankly, they're doing they're working their asses off doing the hardest jobs out there, the dirty, grimy jobs that nobody else wants to do because, you know, we're all better than that. Well, people, a lot of people are pretty much spoiled kids in a lot of ways. And by the way, um, in the days, uh, post-war days, when things were booming, you know, uh, it was a whole different situation. And I can remember back way beyond the at post-war, but when I was... Uh, Oh, it was maybe 20 years ago or even 30 years ago when I was, we were at a hotel and we had a really bad, it was a motel actually, and we had a really bad experience and I was telling a friend of mine, he goes, yeah, well, you know, the, there's an employment, sh- there's an employee shortage. I mean, they will hire anybody who can breathe now. Anyone who's breathing can get a job. And I thought about it because, you know, we didn't live in the States even then. And I thought about it and looked around and it's true, actually, there were help wanted signs everywhere. This actually, I said thirty. It was probably more like twenty years ago. I'm going to say, and it was in like Monterey, California, which is a kind of a rich. Well, it's borderline rural and rich, you know. Yeah, there's a lot of wealth there, and it's it's really weird that um, that uh, it's too bad we can't get back to that. Is all I'm saying, where people don't have to complain and worry so much about their jobs. Uh, The the experience we had, it was really the employee was like world's worst person to be running this motel, and it was since it was a chain. Um, I actually wrote maybe an email because it was internet at the time, but I, I, I wrote to the company and said, this is really not cool. And I explained the whole situation. Uh, and, um, a person called me long distance to Europe and spoke to me, a nice, very nice woman. And she said, uh, do you remember how much you paid for that night? And I said, yeah, it was like $220, whatever it was, you know, and she said, I'm going to send you a, uh, actually, she sent a coupon that was worth that, whatever you call that, you know, um, not a check. But the point is, that was a very nice gesture because it it's a big chain and, you know, you can, sure. I'm sure any other motel in the world of, of that chain is better than this person that was running it. It was absolutely incredible. I, I could probably tell the story in an hour someplace at another time, maybe. Do you want to go to the other thing you mentioned about uh, television? We have about uh, yeah, 15. Yeah. Oh, one quick thing. Sure. I, I, know, I know you're probably in mourning today over this as I am. But, uh, maybe not quite as much in mourning today as I am, but 19 years ago today, Jerry Garcia died. Ah. <laughs> I didn't realize it was today. Yes, 19 years ago today. Funny, funny two-second story on that. My, my wife was a deadhead. She followed the dead around. She was one of those little hippie girls that were out in a parking lot, you know, making pasta and selling spaghetti in the parking lot so she could go to the next, you know, next show, you know, and get tickets that way. Um, and so I, I was working in a restaurant and I was going to pick up my paycheck because this was before direct deposit and all that stuff. So I go to the, to the bar slash restaurant and I just happened to be wearing my Grateful Dead shirt and it's, it's uh, got the skeleton golfing on it. So <laughs> I know where are, this is going. <laughs> so, and I hadn't, cause this is, we had 
we didn't get our first computer for a couple months later. So the internet was very, you know, was not hardly anything at that point. So I go right. into the restaurant, I go to pick up my paycheck. It's like around noon. Um, and the bartender, she's like, Oh, is that, is that, are you in mourning today? Is that why you're wearing? I'm like, what are you talking about? She's like, well, the, the grateful dead tie dye. Are you like, is that for Jerry today? And I'm just like, what are you talking about? And a couple of customers were at the bar and he's like, well, Jerry died last night. I'm like, what? No, nah, no, nah, I thought they were pulling my legs because they were always, they were regulars oh. and they were always, I'm like, nah, come on. And they're like, no, man, Jerry died last night. <laughs> I can just like, hear that. Oh, no, man. man. Oh, oh, man. No, man. I'm going to have to go outside and get high now. Just <laughs> yeah, right. So my wife is out in the car and I'm like, because we we're going to do something. And I go out and I got my check and I'm going out and I get in the car. I'm like, you're not going to believe this. And she's like, what? I said, Jerry died. And she's like, yeah, right. I said, no, dude, he, Dead. Dead. <laughs> Jerry Jerry, died. Jerry's dead. And she's like, no. Nah. I'm like, no, that they told me. And she still wouldn't really believe me. So we put on the local radio station and they were playing nothing but the dead. <laughs> sure. Point. Keep on trucking. So right. And so then. Trucking. Uh, yeah. So the, the DJ came on finally and we're like, oh, man. So we're both like totally bumming out. It's like, oh, man, this is a bummer. So they had like the big candlelight visual that night in this town, like 30 miles away. We went and, you know, and everybody's there. And, you know, people are smoking weed, drinking wine. No. You know. <laughs> <laughs> 20 years, 19 years before it became legal in a few states. Yeah, yeah. So it was, that, so that was, yeah, 19 years ago today. Wow. R.I.P., Jerry, R.I.P. R.I.P., Jerry, yeah. I still play you every week, sometimes more than every week. Um, so I, had to okay. just, I, I knew that you were not going to care at all about that, but I just had to bust. No, but that's interesting. That. I didn't, I did not realize, see, again, I didn't see this on social media and I was not aware of the dates. So what can I tell you? Yep. Yep. As a matter of fact, the, they just released, uh, not really a concert. The dead did this live in TV studio mm-hmm. in 1972 in, uh, Germany. And it was basically a show, but it was done in a studio instead. And so they released it a couple of weeks ago and it was put into theaters for one night all across the United States. So my wife and I went and all that. And we had a great time. It was like us and like a million other people our age and your age. Right, right, <laughs> and there was right. a few younger people. I'm sure it was great. People, people were dancing in the aisles a few times and stuff like that. It was pretty funny. But So enough of that, but RIP Jerry. Okay, now on to... You know what? Can I do a, re- a re- quick related thing? Of is course. that there's a movie, because it has to do with people releasing, re-releasing music and movies and stuff. So, you know, there's this biopic coming out about Jimi Hendrix. Yes. And I posted this yesterday on, on Plus. Um, they were not able to get the rights to use three of his best songs, not best, but his most popular songs that he wrote, which would include The Wind Cries Mary, and I'm, I'm not even sure which ones he wrote and didn't write. But the point is... They couldn't get the royalties. They're doing a biopic on him, so it's about him and his music, and whoever owns the rights. It used to be the family, the survivors. Yes. Uh, whoever does own the, that may have been sold now, but whoever does own the rights wanted more money, and they weren't able to come to a deal or something. So the workaround is they're using songs that they don't have the rights to, like Dylan's songs. Imagine they can get a Dylan song, but they can't get Jimmy's tune. But I just wanted to lament... The fact that this is, for better or worse, I mean, it might not be any good, but it is sort of a historical document. And it's really a damn shame that somebody that is that important to the music of the time, somebody who is still considered a god on the guitar, you would ask any great guitar player who's well-known today, I'm sure they will tell you that they consider Jimi Hendrix to be one of the absolute greats of all time on the instrument. I absolutely, I hugely influential. Completely, one of my favorite bootlegs because I'm a <laughs> huge collector of bootlegs is Jimmy in a hotel at the Drake Hotel in New York City, right. and it's just him on a guitar, and he recorded it himself. It's just him, a guitar, and it's beautiful. It's it's like uh, forty minutes or so, and it's just beautiful. Uh, originally, interestingly, this movie has been in the works for decades have been talking about it and uh phil Lynott, the bass player and singer for thin lizzie was originally going to be playing Jimi hendrix and then he passed away no. he got he got pneumonia and passed away he would have been a phenomenal Jimi hendrix um but yeah i'm actually kind of looking forward to it i i heard some of the scuttlebutt about the songs and it's like these whole thing about songs and rights and you know movies and tv shows i mean in the end it's all about the money 
we, we know that that's what it's about. Yeah, yeah, and that's what's a shame. I, I just think it's a shame. I think it's a wrong move on the family. If it's a, if it's a family, yes. especially, it's there a wrong are, move. The Hendricks estate I read a couple of years ago pulls in each year. It's something like thirty or fifty million dollars in royalties between yeah. images, songs. I mean, they're making more per year. Forty. Or 43 years, I think it was 71. It was nope. the year he, he, Morrison, and Joplin all died together. And they were all 27, right? Yeah, and they were all 27. Uh, which, which reminds me that uh, um, now that I think of it, the uh, uh, slipped my mind again because I was going to say something about these royalties in the family if, the, if it's still them, and they did something else that was a similar thing. I forgot it. Anyway, so what, let's go on to. Um, Torture porn TV. Yeah. One of my favorite subjects. Yeah, one of my favorite <laughs> subjects, too. You know, I love several of the episodes of The Leftovers. I like the other episodes. Oh, you're into that s- now, huh? Well, there are several. Well, I have been the whole time, but there are two episodes in particular that have been brilliant. The other really? ones have been so so. Last week's was absolutely phenomenal. The one a couple of weeks earlier with the, with the uh, Reverend was phenomenal. Hmm. I like The Bridge. A lot. I loved the first season. This season, I like. I'm not sure that I love yet because I don't know that it's really has gone all that far, to, in my opinion. But there's been a couple of really disturbing things that have gone on that have made me really question how much more I'm going to watch either of the shows. Have you been watching both of them? I'm not caught. No, I'm not watching the leftovers at all. But I have. Okay. I have. And in fact, I'll be watching today probably The Bridge a little more. I've got a collection oh, of a few okay. recordings. Okay. Uh, I really like the uh, the ambiance, the atmosphere of The Bridge. I think it's brilliant. I already complained that there's a couple of wacky things about it that I'm not that excited about, like, like the phone-in by, uh, by what's-his-name, Lyle Lovett, phone-in, 20-second shots. You know, I mean, it'd be nice if they went somewhere with that once. But other than that, um, it's it's an amazing show and has huge potential. So apparently, without giving a spoiler, there's uh, some bad spoiler, stuff in that. Well, there's because usually well, there isn't. Well, usually, well, since you don't oh, watch. Oh wait, there was the coffee spill. Is that what you're talking about? No, no, no. That was no, nothing, no, right? No, no. It's p- particular to this week's episode. Okay. So I won't go into detail because you haven't seen. What it What number episode is it? Five. Okay. I'll watch because well, I'm be watching all of them today. Way. There's one scene in there that I found to be extremely gratuitous. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll watch. It was for completely it. unnecessary to show the as far as they took it, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it was just like, I'm sorry, but I, it didn't need to go that far. And then they kind of like revisited it later on uh, again, and it was just like, okay, you guys took it too far. The leftovers, I'll say exactly what it was because you're not watching it. Well, yeah, but maybe somebody else is. Yeah, well, you know what? It's two weeks ago, so too bad. Okay. If you haven't seen it yet, then I don't care. Uh, if it was this week, I'd say, yeah. Cover your ears if you're watching The Leftovers yeah, no, and you don't want to. Watch it or too bad. Well, the show began with, there's because The Leftovers are uh, 2% of the world's population vanish in an instant. Did they go to heaven? Did they go to hell? Did they go to purgatory? Whatever. Well, there's this one group of people who don't talk. They wear all white and they smoke all the time. And they're of a thorn in the side of basically of humanity at this point. They're like a don't believe anything that you think you believe kind of people. Well, one of the main wearers of the white, she was kidnapped at the beginning of the show two weeks ago. She was tied to a tree, bound to a tree at night. And this whole group of men had rocks, big rocks. Ooh. They started throwing them at her. They're hitting her in the face. With her. I have how the, how the costume and the graphics department were able to pull this off where I mean, it was bloody. It really it looked like they were the rocks it were hitting really her looked, and tearing I half mean, her I face mean, her, off and oh, stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was, Randy, I'm going to tell you, I have never seen, my wife and I were both speechless. Wow. I mean, I was in tears, literally in tears watching that scene. It was, right now I'm getting a little bit emotional. It was, it was so graphic. So the question really that it asks, was, it was, you're, it, you're, what you're trying to say though, and this is, this is uh, we both know this, that you know, if you watch a 1945 movie, whether it's a Western or detective or whatever, somebody gets shot, they hold their chest and, and drop. Right. There's nothing, I'm not, I'm there's not, not even any blood. That. All right, no, no, but that's the zero, that's the level of the, on the left hand of the scale. This was because it went on and on. It's not right. like it was one or two. This scene extended for a couple of minutes. They must have shown her getting hit with eight or 10, 12 rocks. So finally, 
she broke and she spoke. She begged and pleaded with them. Mm-hmm. The, this sect, they're not a religious sect. That we don't know exactly. Yeah, well, nobody knows. They are yet, but they don't speak. Well, she spoke and she finally was begging them, please, please don't do this. As she's like, her face is mangled and mm-hmm. bloody. And it was just, it was devastating to watch. So we're just, we were both speechless. And I was, I don't think I've ever been quite so speechless from one TV scene and well, maybe in many years. So afterwards, there was a lot of internet backlash. Of, you know, oh, yeah? What the fuck was this? Who what are you? you now, this would be Facebook or what? do this? Facebook no, or all, No, all Twitter? over the internet. People were just like, what the hell? The main TV writer for Slate Magazine who liked the show before mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. vowed to stop watching that show. And she brought up a great point. She's like, what did we, the viewer, do to the show to deserve that? <laughs> That's funny. You know what? It's a great point. because no, I it's, agree. I, I, I thought the exact same way. It's like, what were you guys thinking? It was one thing to do a quick, you know, but that was so protracted that um, I, I felt the same way. It's like, you know, what did my wife and I do to deserve that? Mm-hmm. That As an audience. It's one thing if you're watching a certain show. It's like you're watching a bridge and you know there's going to be violence. I get that. Banshee. Banshee, but there are different levels, and sometimes it's cartoonish kind of violence where you're just like, okay, yeah, like True Blood is basically just cartoon violence at this point. You're but, admitting to but, watching True Blood now? Oh, you know what? It's got three <laughs> episodes left, and I posted the other day on Facebook. I can't wait for these three episodes to finish so I can walk away from the series forever because the first four years were great. The last three have sucked, and it's like, get the F. And yet you're still addicted to it. Well, I'm not addicted to it. I've, I've invested too long into it. My wife walked away some years ago. Yeah, you want to see what happens, I guess. I want to see what Is happens. There gonna be, what if there's no resolution, though? Sometimes they do that with TV. Yeah, then they're assholes. <laughs> but uh, but the, the whole torture porn thing, it's like I'm, I'm sure there are people who are like, wow, you know, because you haven't seen a bridge yet, so I'm not going to go into No, I, but I'll, I'll be seeing it soon. Have you ever watched Sons of Anarchy? Oh, I'm a or this or even the Sopranos for that matter, which yeah, both, which is both. practically Absolutely. Sopranos yes. is practically dialed back compared to what's on today. Well, yes. the Sons of Anarchy has some absolutely incredibly unbearably violent scenes, but yes. they don't go on for hours. In fact, no. it's it's beautifully done. And I think that my comment, without seeing what you're talking about, the the stoning scene, uh, if they prolonged it, it was just bad artistic judgment. In other words, they were going, okay, you know what? Have you ever seen a trumpet player like Dizzy Gillespie who holds a note really long? And then, then, you're, then you're going, well, wait a minute. How long can he hold this? And you see him, his cheeks puff out. Then they yeah. puff out again. And it's, it's like it's going 30 seconds, you know, one minute, minute and a half. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And it's, it's a certain absurdity that is part of the artistic statement that's being made here. It's like, hey, I can hold a note because I can breathe indefinitely. There's a word for it. I forgot what it's called. But he's basically breathing through his nose, and he's able to sustain that note. Well, uh, maybe this is a little bit like that, and they just screwed up the judgment so that it was a, it was like hitting a note, but it was a false note. That's a pretty good yeah, analogy. It was, it was extraordinarily painful. Well, I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I was emotionally just an emotionally stunned after watching that, and it's one thing to be emotionally stunned in a good way or even, you know, even not always a good way. This was very different. This was, it was, I got you. I mean, it's been Uncomfortable. Two, it's almost two weeks later and it's still just the thought of it is still extremely bothersome. Right. Maybe it's because it was a woman. Maybe it was because they had her finally break and pleading for her life. And who really wants to watch that in the end? I no. mean, really? I mean, there, to me, the, I thought that they stepped over the line mm-hmm. when they had her pleading and begging for her life. It was just, yeah, I don't, they, they, I, 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 I don't want to watch that. That's that, I want to watch the other aspects that make it a riveting, compelling show. That, to me, was not riveting and compelling. It was an abuse right. of the viewers, and I agree with a Slate writer. I haven't decided yet. I watched the next episode. You'll be watching that, so. it. Come on, well, you're gonna keep yeah, watching. Probably. Well, I probably. Unless they, unless they make a habit of that. Yes, if they if they do that again, and I even said to my wife about the bridge that if they do what they did again in the bridge, I don't know that I'll continue. You're scaring to watch me. It. I'll watch it and get. I'll email you as soon as I've yeah, watched yeah. it. Yeah, um, please do. Uh, the other thing is, 
a medical, but they, they do this quickly. But like when they're operating, doing brain surgery and stuff, my wife and I are like, she, she says, just let me know when they're done and this looks away. Right. And I'm like, you know, so we're constantly going EU and stuff like that. And, you know, in our minds, at least, if, if not uh, loud. And the fact is that it has kind of a bad effect because it kind of ruins the flow also. if They can show a quick flash, you know, but a lot of times they do overdo it. And I'm not complaining because it's not something that's a deal breaker, but it just kind of goes off. The, the taste is kind of left behind, you know, and, and particularly in stuff like that, it can be done without. You're looking at Sons of Anarchy or The Sopranos. They can't just not show. I mean, you know, what are they going to do? Turn the camera away and you hear a guy going, Oof, <laughs> so, you know, but, the, the Sopranos was actually pretty tasteful, if you think about it, compared to a lot of the stuff that goes on now. Well, and, you know, that was also in the late 90s, even though it was right. cable. You know the show that I want to uh, check out, and I may check it out this weekend, it started, I think, last night on oh? Stars called The Nick, K-N-I-C-K. Uh, oh, Nick. wait a minute. It's a, a medical show from the like, right. early 1900s. Right, right, right. And I have I, heard I've of it. I've read a lot of good stuff about it. I've read some so-so stuff, but... Uh, um, the director of it, uh, Stephen Soderheim. Mm-hmm. Oh, was, yeah. Um, who's a famous movie director. Very famous, yeah. He's, he's uh, directed the entire series. And so I think uh, it just came out last night, so I think I'm going to check that out. It's uh, a look at the pers- professional and personal lives of the staff at New York's Knickerbocker Hospital during the yes. early part of the 20th century. Well, yes. there's going to be a lot of gore in that sucker. There though, is. People they suffering. Gonna, they, they, I read that already. That there's a lot of very <laughs> graphic but that's you know that's different than tying a woman up to a tree and stoning her to death with up close-ups it depends Um, exactly will depend on how they frame it and how you know how long the stuff lasts it's all in the filming the artistic you know they can show a little bit of it and maybe then just show the person suffering or something but let's face it if it goes on too long you start to suffer and you don't want to suffer as a as the audience you know, I see enough in my real. We're not world in it for that suffering and all that. I don't need to have that much. I did like. I have to say, I really enjoyed the first episode of The Honorable Woman. You recommended it. To yeah, me. it's good. I really, I like it, and I like her. Um, um, what's her name? Maggie. Uh, yeah, I can't tell you. I don't. I don't know her name either. Or but she's like she's that. very good. I think she's pretty but, well known too. But yeah, she is well known, and so that's really good. Uh, and also for people that have Netflix, here's a little six part series it comes out on august 20th on netflix called happy valley it is great my wife and i watched it when it was on the bbc a couple of months ago the lead actress she's in her late 40s she does a lot of british stuff but happy valley it's not happy at all she's a cop Uh. and and what happens is it's almost a almost kind of a hitchcock instance where a guy without giving anything away a guy who's needs money and he goes to his boss and asks for a raise and a boss says no. So the guy decides to have the boss's daughter kidnapped and, and hatches this plan. Well, things take a very, very dark and bad turn from there. Sounds and like both Hitchcock and uh, Fargo was had a similar theme it's kind to it. Of, to, kind of, movie. But, without, but without the absurdity of Fargo, but it, it really is an interesting play on watch what you wish for. And and that path that you end mm-hmm, up taking mm-hmm. can become very, very convoluted and very dark. And it's riveting six episodes. It comes out on August 20th. I just saw yesterday, and they're, they're making a season two of it. Oh. So one of the things I like about these, about some of these British series, I know you don't like them as much as me, but I like when they're six, eight episodes. No, those are good. I do agree. I, I like those. And also, uh, just to end my ending comment on this, because I think we should probably wrap up, but... Yep. On the uh, Honorable Woman, first of all, Honorable is spelled O-H-O-N-O-U-R-A-B-L-E, which threw me off when I was first looking for uh, British spelling. But uh, I was told that the same director made another one of those six or eight uh, episode series that was excellent. And I don't know his name or her name for the, for that matter. Uh, but whoever directed it, uh, if you if you like that series that's just out on, what is it on? Not stars. Um, um the thing that uh, Redford Cinemax. started? What's it? Oh, Sundance. Sundance. Yes. It's on Sundance, right? In the United States, it's yeah. on Sundance. On the U.S., yeah. Otherwise, it's BBC. Yes. Anyway, uh, if you look up the name, actually, I could almost do it here. What was it called? The, the honor, What, The Honorable Woman? 
Yeah, I'll try to find this live. She has her brother. She has her brother that's an actor. And she's Maggie. Who's going to pronounce this? G Y Gian Hall. Gian Hall. Um, I've got to find the director, and then we'll be able to give that also. So, series directed by Hugo Blick. Now, if I click on Hugo Blick, he was known for Sensitive Skin, six episodes. And I think that's the one they must be talking about. Sensitive Skin. Let me just click on, since I'm clicking, a half hour, oh no, this isn't that. A half hour comedy about a woman going through midlife crisis. No, that wouldn't be it. I was picturing it being a drama. Oh, Shadowline sounds like it. A noir thriller with diverse individuals whose worlds become interwoven after the murder of drug baron Harvey Ratten from the cop with a bullet in his brain. I have to click to get Whose amnesia? I'm not going to read the whole thing. It's long, but it's called The Shadow Line from 2011. Might be on Netflix. Okay. Uh, I'm going to look into that. The Shadow Line. I'll make a note of that. And you all who are listening should make a note that we are at leavethebottlepodcast.com. You can see a good quick list without any of the gadgets by going to LTB, as in Leave the Bottle, LTB.re. And uh, with that, we will be doing another one of these as soon as I can. And, I and as soon as you last, can. Okay. I have, I have one last RIP to send out. <laughs> yeah. First it was Jerry Garcia, and now I'm just reading on Gawker. The world's oldest European eel died yesterday. Oh, no. The eel, you're going to freak on this one. The eel was born in 1859. Wow. The eel, it's a Swedish eel. Yeah. I, I don't know if he had his passport or not. Yeah, really. But he was, the, the eel is 150, was 155 years old. The same family has had him at their cottage since 1962. Oh, that's it's been incredible. passed down along the way. They were having a party last night, and the guests were coming over. And I guess they always go to see the eel, and they found and they the found eel. They found him dead. Oh, that's so sad. I want to come back as an eel if I can live for 155 years. But with my luck, I'd get canned and pickled in about 10 minutes. So, If I remember correctly, the oldest creature that we know of is a turtle, right? Or a tortoise. I'm not sure which. Tortoise, they could, some of them can live up to a little over 200 years old. Yeah, a lot of times when you see them, they're 50 or 60 or 70, actually. I'd rather be a tortoise than a Swedish eel. Well, I can think of some uh, non-politically correct uh, differences there that <laughs> might... Anyway, enough okay. of that. Let's Now you see that where we're going with this. Yes. Okay, well, we'll see you, see you next time then. Okay, and check out our podcast when we put this up and on all the usual suspects. I think it's number 29, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, number 29. Goodbye, Yield.